As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me why you mad even. Your team gonna be sad leaving after matching up with Brad Stevens. Each season, champion contenders. We drop twice a week like you trying to guard Kemba. Your team whack and your players whacker. I got the inside scoop after hanging up with Jay and Packard. Okay, we about chips here. I'm talking about this year. Banner 12 plus 6 here. Carson was top rookie. I'm seeing it now. Off the charts, but you gotta play it market smart. Close out, cause he pulling up from Harvard Yard. Gang green, it's no other way. So tune in to the pod if you plan on staying up today. You heard? <laughs> AJ, I, I see you, player. She. Welcome to Anything Else Portable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I'm joined by not the kid, but by another Celtics beat reporter for the Athletic, Jared Weiss. And we are coming to you today after the Celtics Heat game was postponed because the Heat did not have enough players due to COVID. There was a inconclusive test decimating uh, their roster due to contact tracing protocols. This is after we thought the Celtics were basically going to be nine players right at that minimum. Jared, what it's been a wild day. Just what does this mean for, I guess, the Celtics moving forward? And what was your reaction to the game being canceled today? Yeah, my, my head's all spinning. I mean, my number one reaction was disappointment because how excited are we to see this completely decimated, like, uber hospital Celtics team? This is like ICU Celtics right now. That was um, the thing. That was the, my reaction, too. It was like, oh, this is bad because of the virus, and they probably shouldn't be playing games. Accepting that. Accepting that that is my opinion, I'm also going <laughs> to say that I wanted to see the extreme hospital Celtics. I mean, just thinking of, like, 35 minutes of Marcus Smart, Jeff Teague, Peyton Pritchard, just a three guard, three card Monty, just like going wild out there. I was excited to see what was going to happen, but it doesn't happen because the entire Celtics roster is basically out right now. With I don't know if it's confirmed that Jason Tatum tests positive, but the assumption is because he's out ten to fifteen days. 
Yeah, Aaron Neesmith actually playing minutes was the part I was interested in the most. But, you know, hopefully they'll play against Chicago if they're – so th- they're scheduled to play against Chicago on Tuesday, right? Yeah. This, this is Sunday. So on Tuesday, they they were actually going to be able to play. It's, what's so, it's such a curveball is that it's the Heat that are the team that has to pull out and yeah. cause postponement because the Celtics were going to be able to play. Um because an important thing to remember is that so the Celtics were at that bare minimum threshold of eight players that the league requires for you to play a game. Now, you can take a player who's injured for like an orthopedic reason and put them on the active roster. So Kemba Walker and Romeo Langford, they could also be put on the active roster. So the Celtics could have actually six healthy players and still go out there and play a game. That's what we saw with the 76ers. Mike Scott was hurt, but he was on the bench, and the 76ers went out there with seven guys. People were very excited because Tyrese Maxey scored 39 points on 33 shots. I was just – I mean, it might be a little biased there, but not the most uh, efficient performance. But that's what the teams are going to do. They're just going to keep on playing games – Joel Embiid's going off about uh, how, how somehow the league hates them for not canceling that game. I don't really get what he's uh, tweeting about, but there is some sort of this randomness of uh, disadvantage. Well, that was his team's fault. That was his team's fault. Yeah. Listening Mike Scott, the team wanted to play the game clearly. So he's pointing the finger in the wrong direction. And, you know, the, the these teams, honestly, like, what? who cares if you have, like, one game you're at a huge advantage? It's, you know, like, this, this season, the – Top seed in the league is going to be – they're going to be, like, barely above 500. It's going to be crazy. If they even make it that far, you know, that would be ideal. That's like, the other thing is, like, we see it going around the league pretty quickly right now. It feels like the um, – was it Maxi Kleber just uh, had the same thing? It's – at what point does the league say, like, all right, we need to take a full – the whole league needs to take a two-week break off just so everyone is quarantined? Well, so – the league put out a statement to uh, Sofan Dev in the New York Times saying, right now, they're not planning on a shutdown. And that's fair. It's it's too early. We only This is only the second game, right, that's been postponed so far. Um, the the hot zones seem to be just four teams at this point. At 30, that's not, you know, that's relatively a small percentage. But that could change quickly. We could get to a point where within a couple days now, we have half of the league having to shut down. And then when you get to that point, you're thinking maybe we should just have everybody shut down um, because you're right. You could take like two weeks off or even 10 days off. It won't really script the schedule that badly. And then you hopefully could kind of completely clear the virus out and everybody can go back and you avoid having a crisis where you have everybody actually contracting the virus as opposed to at this point, it seems like it's only just a handful of people and they're at, and to their credit, they're being very cautious. It's not like, the Celtics have nine guys that tested positive. They only have apparently only two and just a lot of people that are at risk. So therefore they're keeping them away. Yeah. And I think they're never going to come to a point where they really shut down the season. It's just feels like they put everything in motion to basically do this. They are prepared for have this. And we've seen in major league baseball and the NFL both go through with this. Whoever is going to be infected, they're going to do the contract tracing. Those people are going to sit. The games are going to continue. And then, I mean, a lot of people today were enjoying the NFL playoffs. And I don't know if it's necessarily the right thing to do because you're just like, I guess, risking exposure to these guys to a disease we don't really know the long-term effects of. Um, but we, I just anticipate it's going to keep going. And can they all kind of – the league definitely thought this was going to happen 
that's why they 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 plan for this. So I don't expect this to stop. It's just going to be it's just a, a weird randomness that's definitely going to be involved in the uh, season for as long as uh, I don't know everyone doesn't have the vaccine. Yeah, and I mean, there's a couple of things that the Leafs have to readdress, which is one: should we try to get the players the vaccine? And it's frankly, you could make a reasonable argument that it's not a big deal if you give the players the vaccine because we keep seeing all these states across the country like letting vaccines go to waste because they're not able to find enough people to give them to. So it's like, just start giving you the people that aren't on the priority list. And if you're able to do that with the NBA and you're able to keep all these NBA players healthy by getting them vaccinated early, it has a positive effect on so many people who's, you know, the the kind of the multiplied layers of the economy that surround the NBA and surround pro sports. There is, there is a reason to, to do that. So it might not be the end of the world for them to do that anymore. Um, you know, and I, I, I would be on board for it. I, I clearly have a little bit of a bias, but I also just don't think it's just simply that big of a deal anymore because we're just seeing how how much trouble everyone's having. Getting yeah, people just need, to, uh, just need to take the vaccine. We, I, the idea of wasted vaccines is uh, very frustrating. It's insane, yeah. But the Celtics, it's going to be a bunch of time without Jason Tatum uh, for sure. I, like I don't, it, we saw a kind of crazy game, which we thought I thought was going to be the peak craziness of COVID when they played on Wednesday or Friday night against the Wizards without basically any big man, and we saw the Celtics defeat the Washington Wizards. And what do you think the biggest storyline out of that game, and why is it not Taco Fall? I mean, I literally wrote about Taco Fall. I know um, you did. Let's hear. Let's the- talk about it. I, I think the biggest thing out of that game is Peyton Pritchard just continuing to be persistent. Like he just, he's clearly established and maybe later in the season teams will have more tape on him and they figure out a way that they can take him out of his game. But frankly, he's not really doing that much. That's like destroying guys. He just works really hard. He's a solid ball handler. He's shooting really well. He never um, picks up he, his dribble. That's like constantly yep. putting pressure on the defense. And if he does pick up his dribble, he keeps pivoting and he keeps moving. He's just, he's a really smart, solid NBA player. Um, and so it's just been revelatory that he's he's playing like a good six man. Like he's a legit good six man. Yeah, it's completely shocking, but he has yet to have a bad performance. And he's always going to be there effort-wise, especially on the defensive end. And they call him fast PP for a reason. He's pushing the ball in the fast break. He had a nice little, I think he ended up getting fouled and didn't make the shot, but fouled by Russell Westbrook where he kind of blew past him. It just continues to be uh, surprising how consistent he is. And I think the other thing that continues to surprise me from this season is that Jalen Brown is just really fucking good. And I like really like Jalen Brown as a player, but I'm just like surprised by his level of shot making this year. And it feels like he just kind of, Continues to do that even in off nights. He sees him shooting threes and semi-contested threes and uh, just long mid-range shots that I think normally uh, the analytics would be like, maybe maybe don't take that. But like the analytics are, if you're making them the percentage that Jalen Brown is, it's like, that is a great shot. And he just continues to do that. It's wild. Yeah, I mean, he's been shooting at an unsustainable level for a sustainably long period of time. But I think what's great about it is we're just we're seeing that his game has evolved enough to the point that once he stops hitting every single contested twenty footer that he takes, he's still going to be doing pretty well. I mean that the game the other night he had twenty seven points, thirteen boards, and five assists. 
on what was like a not that great shooting night for him. And I think those are those are the kind of nights that are going to be the mediocre shooting nights for him. I mean, because we're seeing there's some plenty of games where he's shooting like 50, 60% from the field. So to have a nine for 19 night where he's kind of below 50%, although not that far below, and him still being able to put up those kind of numbers by getting to the line well, he's drawing fouls well, he's, he's dribble penetrating both in transition and in the half court, and he's finding cutters. And the team is cutting well around him. You know, it's nice that another every thing time, Peyton Richard is is doing well, a good job of. Yeah, it's funny because I was trying to, I was talking to someone the other day and trying to find a good comp for him, and I'm like, I gotta find, you gotta find a better comp than Alex Caruso. You can't go with the white guy, a white guy comp, but it's a really good comp. Like, the well, at least Caruso you did the good well. job of censoring yourself and realizing that it was a, it could have been a lazy comp. So I commend you for knowing your, uh, what you were doing and doing the white guy to white guy, but. It's kind of fair. He, he, I haven't seen him dunk like Caruso yet, but it, yeah. they do do very kind of have similar games in terms of playmaking, uh, just hustle points. Uh, now I'm just falling into white guy cliches. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, it, it's just that he's scrappy and he's surprisingly athletic. But so, yeah, exactly. It's, it's funny actually. During the draft, I thought, wow, that guy kind of looks like TJ McConnell. TJ McConnell could shoot. So it's really hard to find a not white guy comp. But what I, what he does that I really like is that uh, Pritchard will spend the the play in the corner. And most guys that are spread out to the corners, they just sit in the corner the entire play because they're told you got to stretch the floor on that play. But what he does is when he's in the corner and he sees the play moving, he's not only going to try to slide out a little bit towards the elbow to make himself available for a pass if possible. But if he sees the shots going up, he's going to run down the baseline and try to get into the rebound. Like we saw, there was a play where he caught an air ball and he kept the play alive by catching the rebound. He kicked it back down and they got another shot. He keeps making plays like that. And so that makes it so his teammates know that when he's in the corner, he's going to be ready to run down the middle. So if they're driving the lane, they know that he's going to probably be cutting in from the baseline. They can just dump it right off to him when they're drawing in all that defense. And so Jalen's had a lot of success with that. And I think that's just like that's one of the reasons why Pritchard is more than just a guy that can handle the ball and shoot the ball. Like he's able to be an effective shooting guard when he's not running point. Yeah, and then the Celtics at this point need all – well, now at this point they have nine guys. They need all the depth they can get, I was about to say. Uh, but especially true, uh, I guess – I don't know. I, I can't – I'm trying to still wrap my head around them only having eight uh, guys ready. But trying to go back to uh, Friday night against the Wizards where they had no big men. I did ask you about Taco Fall, and you wrote about him. We didn't even end up talking about him. He played 20 oh, we minutes. Talk about we can talk about it. I mean, he was terrific. Well, it was shocking because I went into that night being like, I don't know if Taco is going to be like, they basically just played Tice and Taco as the, at the five for the entire game. I didn't think that I thought we maybe see some Shemi and Grant lineups. Um, but, oh, actually Grant wasn't even playing, but I thought we yeah, might Grant see some Tice, out, yeah. some Shemi at the five. I didn't know that Taco was that sustainable, but Tice did his job, you know, got, get foul trouble early. And of course they had to bring in taco, but I think it was the most active um, and just most athletic. I've seen taco uh, in, in the NBA um, in his career so far. Yeah. I mean, the thing that really blew me away was just how fast he was running in transition. Like when he, when he got to the red claws last year, he could run with the speed of transition like four to five times. And then he would just, he couldn't even make it down the floor. I mean, stamina was just so low. And you were seeing transition plays where he would get the rebound, kick it to the outlet, and then he would beat Robin Lopez down the floor. Like, he was running ahead of the break. It was incredible. 
uh, and he was keeping it up the entire time. So his his stamina catching up to NBA standards has opened up so much for him because it's no longer this this situation where you have to post him up right when he gets in there because he's only going to be good for a few possessions and he's going to kind of fall out of it. Um, and and then Matt, there they was, didn't really post him up at all. They basically just yeah. had him hang out in the dunker spot. Occasionally he would come up and like set a pick. He had a nice uh, alley-oop from Jalen Brown. And speaking of his stamina, came back down and had a block right after that. Uh, in, but transition. I thought it was in transition, exactly. Yeah. And so it was just – it was awesome to see him be able to kind of make an impact on both sides of the court. Uh, it just – He's just is a very big presence down there, and him blocking Russell Westbrook was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that Russ, on the very first play that Taco was out there, wanted to go dunk on him. It was insane. Like, only Russell Westbrook would be crazy enough to do something like that, and it failed spectacularly. Russell Westbrook on the Wizards just kind of feels sad to me. He did a lot of, like, post-ups of just, like, turnaround jumpers in the lane that just didn't feel at all productive. Um, he did have eight assists, but it's just the the Wizards are a non-serious franchise because, as we Bradley Beal said, they can't guard a parked car, which I thought was a great line. But their defense is really bad. And even though when I looked down their roster, I was like, oh, I like that guy. I kind of like uh, Avija. I kind of like uh, Hachimura. I like Thomas Bryant, who just uh, tore his ACL, which really sucks. Yeah, that sucks. But they were just really not great. They able to uh, fight their way back in this game because Bradley Beal – uh, very good at scoring points, but when it came down to the crunch time, they just couldn't stop the Celtics whatsoever. Yeah, I'm, th- that team—they have so much talent on board. Like their their roster is like eleven rotation guys on it. There's so many rotation guys, but Beal is just so far and away the best player on the team. There's nobody just there's nobody even close to his level. And yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that at some point Russ is going to figure it out. But Russ right now looks like bad Russ from the early. Last year, I mean, don't don't forget, it took him a while last year for him to hit his stride. He was terrible once he got to the bubble, but for a couple of months there, he was playing at an elite level. He had That's a why great he was two or three months. He has to basically uh, be dealt with. And Fred Katz wrote a kind of interesting article about all the kind of pers- people who are have gone into basically caring for Russell Westbrook's knee. And I think you made an interesting point on Twitter. It may have been you. I don't know if, uh, but it's basically how they're the Celtics are going to have to treat. Kemba Walker as he comes back and basically very much be uh, deliberate about his treatment of his knee. And that was the other news that I completely forgot about until right now, basically announced that Kemba Walker is going back to practice with the Celtics and is anticipated playing as early as next Friday against the Orlando Magic. And that is great news for the Celtics, especially if many, many players are out. But it's just great news for the Celtics in general because they could just really use his scoring uh, and just him being an all-star level player, uh, what do you think he's going to come back and add to this team? Yeah, assuming so, all healthy. Yeah, so I think it's going to be delayed more because you know Adam Himmelsback reported that, and um, and the problem was that he reported that before they had to shut down the facility, before they had all these guys on uh, in quarantine who can't practice, so the team can't practice now. I think the idea was Kemba was going to get a few practices in play at full speed with a few, you know, a few times before he can get out there. That could be a couple weeks from now at this point. So I think they need to see him in practice for like a week before they're going to put him back on the court. So we might end up seeing him probably two or three weeks from now. And I wouldn't think of that as a setback. I would just think of it just like they haven't had a chance to get him to actually play some real scrimmages. But so what is he going to provide? He's going to be able to shoot the ball. Like they need somebody that can dribble the ball and shoot. Uh, 
it's it's a, it's crazy because they're seven and three, but like they're not good yet. They haven't been playing well at all. Tatum and Brown have been playing at like a borderline MVP level, and then everyone else has just been okay. They don't really have an effective offensive scheme, at least against a good defense. Like we haven't seen them really do it for four quarters against a really good defense yet this year, except for they played well in the Milwaukee game. Um, but like the, they look cool against the Wizards, but the Wizards have the worst. They can't guard. They couldn't even guard. They couldn't even guard a car that was just idling down <laughs> a very narrow slope. You know exactly where it's going. So you know it's just like they haven't really proven that they have a cohesive offensive system beyond that. Just Jalen and and Jason are just hitting tons of well contested shots, and they're really carrying the offense yet. So yeah, they need they need Kemba back so badly because like that that pumpkin that whatever the hell that. Cinderella was riding before midnight. It's going to turn into a pumpkin yeah. very soon. Back back to the pumpkin patch for Cinderella, the Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> Discovered the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife, Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful designed objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son, Evan, continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I think it's going to be interesting just because we've seen such a a kind of step up in terms of uh, Jalen Brown facilitating and I think a little bit more of uh, Jason Tatum facilitating, especially Jason Tatum getting a lot of attention I just think, and I think the numbers from last year bear this out. When you have a second guy who can score with volume like Kemba on the court, it just makes it that much more dynamic of an offense. Jalen Brown, really, although he's been showing some solid flashes of his playmaking, if he can just be the guy in the corner who's like a closing out on um, or attacking closeouts or being the guy who just is able to knock down corner threes, I think that makes the Celtics offense just that much more dangerous. It feels like the... They haven't really had a, a lineup with five shooters out there ever. Uh, like, and the guy in the corner, a lot of times uh, this season has been Grant and has been Shemi. And both of those guys, I think, have done a serviceable job of like providing that spacing and being the guy shooting the corner. But if you just add another three-point shooter out there, maybe with a guy like Peyton Pritchard, uh, that's it's a kind of a small lineup. But just having more shooting out there, I just think, makes their offense that much more dynamic. You're making a good point that – while it's been Tatum and Brown carrying the offense, they would they wouldn't be doing this well if if like everyone else was playing like crap. It's just that those are the only two high level starting offensive caliber players they have right now. Besides well, Smart, who's done a solid yeah. job at the point. Teams are basically saying these are the only two guys, and 
we're going to let Grant Williams shoot. We're going to let Shemi Ojale shoot. We're going to let definitely let Daniel Tice shoot. And I think so far the those kind of role players have done a solid job in knocking down shots, but still it's not like ideally what your uh, offense is going to be. And just having, I think just kind of having Kemba out there opens up the the offense for basically everyone. I think the thing that's going to be interesting is on the defensive end, we kind of like the two big lineup we think would be a solid defensive unit. Adding Kemba to a lineup doesn't necessarily make the defense that much better. Kemba is, I think, a, like puts in effort, solid guy taking charges. Just the he he is small, and that's one of the things that's been at least surprising to me from the Celtics season is their defense hasn't been great, especially. Uh, well, I think in all of their games, they're able to kind of they give up a lot of runs, they give up leads. Uh, but I don't know if Kemba really helps that, but it's it's still early on in the season. I, I think Ooh, he does on. because what when you have that double big lineup out there, you're losing some of that flexibility to put pressure up on the ball and be able to both you know sink in and then fly back out whenever there's you know a swing or a kick out from the offense. And when you have two bigs out there, you're both one, you're slower in transition, and two, you're just not as versatile. You can't switch as many actions. You know, it's a little. We we're seeing really across the board in the NBA this year. Teams are switching a ton of stuff, even off the ball. Nowadays, when you screen off the ball for like a shooting guard, a lot of teams are switching that. The Celtics are one of them, but it limits how many guys you can switch with. And so when you have Kemba out there and you're taking smart off off ball, because Kemba Walker is pretty solid guarding on the ball for most point guards, that has now you have three great defensive wings being able to switch across the board as opposed to right now it's just Tatum and Brown because Smart's going to be on the ball most of the time. So I think if it frees up Smart and allows – excuse me, also not only does it free up Smart to just like have more flexibility, it also allows him to not be up in front of the defense but to be sitting back where he can also be more of a defensive coordinator like he usually is and that he can take more gambles and be more of an aggressive help defender, which is part of what makes him so great. So I actually think it will benefit the defense and it'll just, it'll also take pressure off the defense because their offense will be better because they don't have to run through Brown and Tatum every single time. It's a symbiotic game. As the offense gets better, usually the defense gets better. As the defense gets better, usually the offense gets better. That's a good point uh, about kind of the change in the rotation that I hadn't really considered, but I think it makes sense. The, the question that I think comes out of that is when Kemba comes back, they're obviously not going to start double bigs are they going to have enough time or minutes for the three big mans uh, that they have? Because Daniel Tice really shouldn't, it's unfair to Daniel Tice to expect him to play the four. He's clearly more effective against the five. I think we saw that against the wizards on Friday night. You brought in Tristan Thompson with the uh, mid level. I think Robert Williams, the time Lord has shown that he uh, deserves playing time, offers something that no one else really does in terms of um, vertical spacing. Any chance I get, I can say the vertical spacing. I'm going to mention vertical spacing. <laughs> so that's, Robert Williams provides vertical spacing, and you can see it when it plays. But basically, both all three of those guys are most effective when they are playing the five and kind of in a, a smaller lineup. Kemba comes back. You don't really have this opportunity for two big lineups. Are you just doing like a, a platoon through those three guys, seeing who's the most effective? Or are we just getting five minutes or six minutes from each of them each night? I, I think you could play them 20 minutes each. Um I should know would it be twenty, but you could you could play them like in the fifteen to twenty ish range most of the time, because um, you can go double big a little bit throughout the game. 
And you're you're definitely right that Rob has to be out there because there's nothing more important than vertical spacing. Vertical that's, spacing, it's yeah. The best thing to say in the world, it's like the vertical so, spacing. It's important. Yeah, I mean, not, not only is that part important, but also the way that he swings the ball out, his passing ability. While Tice, I think, is probably the best passer passers of the big men because of how he can do it in a more functional manner. Like he's the best at running handoffs. He's the best at you can run a short roll with him, and he can make that pass to everybody. Rob could do all sorts of really amazing stuff and unique stuff, but he's not quite as reliable and safe with the ball as Tyson. So, you know, I, I still think Tyson Thompson are probably the in front of him in the rotation, but you can find a way to work all those guys in there. I don't think it's going to be that difficult to pull off. Yeah, it's always good to add an NBA all-star back to your roster. It's just good for depth all around. It helps. And it, helps. Brad, it allows Brad Stevens to kind of mix and match, which certainly – he likes to do early on in basically every season. It feels like the first quarter of the season is just kind of gathering data on lineups. And so we shall see. We don't even know who's going to play. We don't even know if they're going to play on Tuesday, uh, but we'll be here to talk about it. And before we go, I just had to do uh, talk about how weird it is. I got the chance to go to Friday night's game in the TD Garden, and I was up on level nine, and it is very weird to watch a basketball game in just an empty arena with like 30 people there. It was a bizarre experience. Jared, I know you've been to uh, at least one game at the garden this season. What a, what a wild time. That was, it was kind of, kind of a ghost town. I mean, I was sitting, I was sitting down in the, so the, they put the media in the corner, like just out of frame. Um, And so we're at this weird angle already we're all in our individual glass cases of emotion, as I like to call them. Um, they all they all they're missing is a payphone, obviously, to make a call. You so you brought your, you brought your own from home, right? Oh, I bring a payphone. <laughs> Very yeah. portable. Um, and so, but what's so weird about it is they pump in crowd noise, and it's, it's like half a second. Oh, so <laughs> They did the full intro. Who are they doing the intro for? It was so bizarre. Like, why why do we need a full three minute video? It, it was just very weird because I think I was the only fan in the audience. Like other than Celtics employees, like it was just weird. I, it I'm was sure, cool. I'm sure Mike Zared was pumping his fist for that at least. I think he was, but I could see like him directly. Like I could go around and just like the gym and be like, that's the Celtics person of this. That's like the Celtics like PR person. It's like, I know all these faces. It just seems very it was just an odd experience. It was cool, at least for my, like the height I was, you could hear a lot more of what was going on. Even with the fake music, there was moments of um, when it's just quieter on the court. And I think you can just, that was a cool experience. But beyond that, it just doesn't like, I don't know. I, it felt like a competitive basketball game to me. I'm sure everyone was trying. I'm just like, a, like, it feels like you, how can you get possibly as hype and like intense about the game when there's like compared to 17,000 people just going crazy. Maybe I'm just buying into the the magic of the garden, but it just felt no, very it's, bizarre. It's a, real thing. it's a real thing for sure. Positive and, psychology, baby. I mean, you know it though. Like if you're sitting there trying to like do your work, you feel it when there's 20,000 people screaming as opposed to none. It's, it, it's a crazy environment that people are very rarely in. It does alter the way that you're participating in something for sure. It, but what I, what I really wish they would do is get rid of the fake crowd noise. Just put one person, or Me? let's say, go in a pair. Just put two people at like each corner of the building. 
So like two people like the north end at the south end on like each side. But they're allowed to yell. They're allowed to heckle and say whatever they exactly. want. It's like basketball. They like brings yeah, like they, they can say what Foster's is Australian for beer for. Uh they can do uh, I'd be amazed if anybody gets that reference. But yeah, just like full basketball, just talking as much trash as possible, screaming as loud as possible. That would be so much more fun because all the players could hear every fucking word that they're saying, and it would be incredible. And that is a perfect moment to do some heckling. Now, I'm, I'm, I was about to say I'm not proud of this story. I would say I am proud of this story because I'm about to tell it. I don't think it necessarily points me as being in the best light, but in... <laughs> Middle school or high school at some point, there was a like a it was like a middle school girls basketball game, and I used to yell things while the girls were trying to take free throws to try to distract them, like uh, New York, New Jersey Metro Stars or just uh, Brooke Shields. And one time I yelled <laughs> New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, and it really flustered the girl, and she just had an air ball. And I just had like I think it was my dean of the like, students just like look back at me and kick me out of the gym, and um. It was a high moment and a low moment for me, but I think the idea of just trying to mess with people while they're shooting free throws would be high comedy, and I'm all here for it. Listen, man, someone had to point out how ridiculous it was that they went with New York, New Jersey. <laughs> Instead of just go with the tri-state area, the tri-state metro stars who worked perfectly. But that's the key Lawless to had to play somewhere. I mean, absolutely. So did Carlos Valderrama. I mean, <laughs> these MLS stars oh, need to go somewhere. Yeah, I don't know if they were both on the uh, NYNJ Metro Stars, but I think it's possible. The key <laughs> to a good psych out is to time it right so the player shooting has just enough time to process the absurdity of what you just said and realize that is like you can't be mean with it. It just has to trigger them a little bit to going, that's that's weird for this moment. And then, boom, free throw missed. Yeah, that's why I always yell Baba Booey every single time coming to right up to the line. It would, it would absolutely work. Now, if I do get a chance to go back to the game, maybe I'll start yelling from the ninth floor. Uh, they'd quickly find out it was me because I'm the only person up there, but it would be a good story. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the season, but uh, whatever happens, we are going to be here to talk about it. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it five stars. Uh, tell a friend. Tell a friend's friend. Tell a stranger on the street, shake them and say, listen to anything is potable. <laughs> Yell in their face. Uh, but just violate just all COVID guidelines to promote this. No, stuff. do it with a mask on or like a, some sort of bubble. But just tell your friends about anything is potable because we'll be here talking about the Boston Celtics for the rest of the season. So thank you guys for listening to this episode of 